Praise be to God. Would you say a word with me tonight? The word is process. Process. How many of you remember when you were born again, the grace of God touched your heart, and you began to change? Anybody here remember how you changed, when you started to change, how God began to change you? I remember when I was converted, and I used the term uh, born again, whatever you, whatever, when I got saved on an airplane, got off the airplane and, and said to the Lord, I will never, ever swear again. I was 19 years old. I was on the stairway to heaven with my Led Zeppelin 8-track. 8-track. I'm over 40. And I remember the next day I said something I shouldn't have said. And I thought, Lord, this is going to take some time, isn't it? Would you turn to your neighbor and tell him you're in process? Luke chapter 5 is about is about a man named Peter, and it's and he's in process. Now here's I want to before we read the text, we'll just lay something out before you so you get a a, a glimpse of this person we're looking at tonight, Peter. We're going to teach around thirty five minutes, and then we're just going to gather. And uh, there's a mattress up here. I don't know why that's there, but th- don't, that's not for for you to take a nap tonight. We're just maybe gather and pray. How many of you know prayer is a great idea? And, and maybe God will speak to you tonight about something that he wants you to pray about. But the study, in the study of, uh, of Peter's life, Peter had seven different encounters with Jesus. Seven. How many of you know some people are more hard-headed than others? All of us are. Seven encounters. Don't write this down. I'll, you can have it later, but just, just, just think of this. The first encounter with Jesus, Jesus provides a new self-esteem that replaces uh, Peter's insecurity in John 1.42. Your your name's going to be no longer Peter. It's going to be what? It's going to be Cephas. The second encounter in Mark 1.16, Jesus provides a new new progress that that replaces being stuck. Follow me and you're going to become. And Jesus tells him there, you're going to be in a, it's going to be in a, you're in a process, Peter. The third encounter, Jesus provides a miracle. So we're going to look at that tonight in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. No fish until he fishes at Jesus' instructions. The fourth encounter, Jesus provides a new peace that replaces every fear that comes your way in Matthew 14, 29. Peter's sinking in the water. You know the story. He's afraid. Jesus reaches out. Something happens inside of Peter. The next encounter with Jesus, number five, Jesus provides a new understanding that replaces his attitude of never feeling cheated. Because Peter told Jesus, don't say things like this. And he got really upset when Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to cross, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be killed. And Peter got in his face and said, don't you ever say that again. You're not entitled to that. And Jesus was taking every step, every encounter. He was moving Peter a little further down the road. Then Jesus 6 provides a new humility that replaces our pride and self-sufficiency. John 13, verse 6 and 8. Jesus, you will never wash my feet. You know, it's the upper room. It's the final, final hours. You're never going to wash my feet. No, sir. And, of course, you know the rest of the story. His feet were washed. And he had to humble himself. And then the last, the seventh encounter, Jesus provides a new forgiveness that replaces all guilt and condemnation in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Peter, you will deny me three times. Peter did, but it wasn't over. In John 21, 
he, Jesus tells Peter, uh, re recommission, feed my sheep. I have a job for you to do. I said that to say this. God knows where every one of you live. Excuse me. God knows where every one of us live. How many of you know that he knows? And so in Luke chapter 5, look at, just listen to this. On one occasion, on Luke 5, 1 in the ESV, on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a what? Sinful man. He, he didn't say, Boy, Lord, here I am. And man, you're really lucky to have me. I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord, for he, for, for he and all that were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You've probably heard me say this before. The Bible has 66 books in the Bible, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 scriptures, 773,000 words written by just over 40 different people in three different languages on three different continents over a 1,500-year period without contradiction. How many of you know the word oops is not in your Bible? And from the beginning to the end, there's one thread that connects it all together. What is it? Here's the thread that connects the entire Bible from beginning to the end. Here's the thread. God is on a mission to restore people to himself through his son. God is on a mission to restore people to himself through his son. In Gospel Coach, page 61, Scott Thomas said, that, said it this way. We have a missionary identity. We are adopted into a missionary family, and we serve a missionary God. How many of you know that? We serve a missionary God. Craig Rochelle and Weird said, God didn't put us on earth just to feel good and enjoy ourselves. He put us here to make an eternal difference. He puts us here to show everyone around how much he loves them. He puts us here to be his hands, his feet, his body, his heart. John Piper said, and... And uh, brothers, we are, prof uh, we are not professionals. He said, God's ultimate goal is that his name be known and praised and enjoyed by all the peoples of the earth. Which brings us to Luke 5.10. From now on, Peter, you'll be what? Fishing for what? Bass on Oneida Lake? No, that's my job. From now on, Peter, you're going to be what? Fishing for men. In other words, the mission is the foremost, the purpose non-optional. The mission is the cause, the drive, the reason, the priority, and the heart of God. The vision. What's, what's, the, what's the vision of Trinity Assembly of God? You know what it is. We hear it all the time. Gospel transformation in every area of our lives and in every life in our area. 
What's the mission of TAG, Trinity Assembly? Make disciples for the glory of our God and for the good of our community. It's the one thing that keeps you going through the sun, when it's hot outside, when you have to cut the grass, when it snows, when it's ice, whatever. It's the one thing that motivates us to do what? Keep moving forward. And that brings us to Luke 5. Think of this. In verse 1, people are pressing into Jesus to hear the word of God. Jesus is standing by the lake, the sheet of water, known as the sheet of water, called by three names in the scripture, Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. The lake is 700 feet below sea level, 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. In Jesus' day, there were nine townships clustered around the shoreline. None of the townships had less than 15,000 people. Jesus preaches uh, preaches, uh, from Peter's boat to the people on shore, and he shocks all of them when he does this. He says this, launch out a little further, Peter, and let your nets down for a catch. Now, why is this a shocking word? Because actually, it's the third time out of seven that Jesus calls Peter to follow him. There was the first time in John 1, the second time in Mark, and now this is the third call. So why this third call in Luke chapter 5? A few months have gone by, and Peter has returned to his old habits. He's gotten stuck. He's stopped growing. He's leveled off. He's become distracted and become detoured. He reveals something to us. What's he reveal? The tendency of fire is to go out. Peter has become predictable. He's now really caught off guard, and Jesus said, Launch out, Peter, and let your nets down for a catch of fish. Now, why is Peter caught off guard? Because in verse 5, Simon says, Master, we've toiled all night, and we have caught what? Nothing. In other words, been there, done that, wore that t-shirt. He's worked, he's labored, he's toiled for hours. He's exhausted, he's worried, he's disappointed. He doesn't want any more unfulfilled expectation, and for sure he's thinking, this is my expertise. This is my area of expertise, Lord, and you're a carpenter, and you don't know anything about fishing, and I'm a fisherman and don't know much about carpenter, but Lord, this is my area of expertise. I know when to fish. But Jesus shows Peter that he knows. Oh, he knows. He knows more about you and your work than you know about you and your work. He knows nighttime is over. It's less than ideal conditions to go back out again. He knows what's behind you. He knows what's before you. Uh, When you go home tonight, he knows why Peter may not want to cast his nets again like he just did for eight hours. Maybe, I wonder why he didn't. Maybe he's tired. Have you ever been tired? I have two words for you. You're normal. Turn your neighbor and tell him you're normal. And now tell your neighbor, and I'm normal. Not me, but you. Tell your neighbor you're normal. You're normal. He's tired. He's disappointed. He's already labored in the same location. Maybe Get this. Maybe his ego doesn't want someone else's wisdom to make him look bad. I've been there. We moved here 13 years ago to Syracuse. Got lost, couldn't find the house we bought. First week I bought, we bought a house. Got lost on the back road and uh, didn't have GPS and couldn't find. I couldn't find the house I just bought. That's the. I'm not making it. I couldn't. We were lost. Ended up on this road I'd never been on. Beach road. Be. I thought there was a beach. Uh, there was no beach. 
I saw a marina. I pulled into the marina. And it hit me when I pulled into the marina, lost at the Arab Marina on Beach Road. I've always wanted to learn how to fish. No one ever taught me how to fish. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach myself how to fish. I can do this. I'm 50 years old. It's time to learn. I started fishing. I caught nothing. You know how to sell? You say nothing? Nothing. I caught nothing. I thought, well, they're just not biting. So I went out, went out, went out, went out, and caught nothing, 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 nothing. Oh, but then I learned something. I learned that there's people who are smarter than me and know how to catch fish. So I would launch when the Bassmaster Elite would show up at Oneida Shores. NASCAR on the lake, they launched four at a time, going 72 miles an hour and 250 Merkers, 78,000-hour boats, and I would, I would watch them. So I saw where they went. So I, I went where they went. And when I knew the tournament came in town, because they've been here six times, I believe, since I lived here, I, 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 came, I, I discovered something. Get there before they do. And then wiggle your boat in real close and peek. Now, I know none of you would ever do that, sit in a restaurant and hear a conversation behind you and listen to what they're... Now, I know you would never, but I wanted to learn. I wanted to hear. And so I started asking questions. And they started telling me, here's what to do. Here's what you use. I got on their boat. They took me to their places. And so now, finally, after 13 years, when I go out fishing, the fish have become scared of me. Yeah. Yep. I'm after them. They know. I hear them say, here comes Bill. Oh, I hear him. I hear him. The only part of me that can be offended is that part of me which has not died. Did you get that? Peter is... Peter, Peter wants to catch fish. He gets instruction or correction or whatever you call it. He could have said, hey, I know more than you do. But you know what? I think I will humble myself. And humility gives us access to God and wisdom through other people. So Jesus gives him some advice. Go back out. Go over here. And let's see what happens. And God, in this little text, in the next 20, 25 minutes, I want you to see how Peter rebounds, how, how the grace of God helps Peter to rebound. Now, what does the word rebound mean? It means to bounce back, spring back, recover, return, rally, revive, recoil, recuperate, mend, heal, rejuvenate, make a comeback, snap back, pull through, and start anew. And the Gospel of Luke 5 records a great rebound. Not because the rebounder deserved it, but because the grace of God is received and not achieved. It's the song that we sing here sometimes here at Trinity by Corey Asbury. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so so good to me. How many of you thank God that God's been good to you even when you weren't good to him? So I want to leave you with four words tonight. If you didn't bring a pen or pencil, that's all right. You'll probably remember them and you can fill it in when you go home. There are four wisdom discoveries that I want you to write down. And if you're listening online, just remember these and, and, and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart as you process Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. Here's, here's my wisdom discoveries from the text and let's be true to the text, because it was a year ago that Pastor David was teaching us, remember, the difference between exegesis, eisegesis, narcissus, where is Jesus, you know, that whole thing. You know. 
So let's stick with the text tonight and get this. Here's my first discovery. Rebounding grace strengthens us inwardly. Can you say the word inwardly? Write down the word inwardly. Why did Peter need inward strength? Well, he had a lack of energy. He fished all night, was tired, fatigued, exhausted. He said it himself in verse 5. We worked hard all last night, Jesus. He's not bragging. He's just reporting. How many of you know effective ministry can be exhausting? How many of you know life can sometimes be tiring? And how many of you know your schedule can be tense at times? He was having a lack of energy. Secondly, he had, I had a lot, he had a lack of provision. He fished all night, and the scripture says, and didn't catch a thing, and catching fish was his livelihood. How many of you know unfulfilled expectations can dent a person's spirit? Maybe he had a lack of hope. Verse 5, if you say so, if, if you say so, means that Peter thought maybe it was not such a great idea to fish at the worst possible time. Now, why is this in your Bible? Here's part of the reason why this is in our scripture tonight. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this, if you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. What's that mean? There's never the perfect season, the never perfect environment, the never, there's never the perfect weather, the perfect budget, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect boss, excuse me, the perfect pastor, the perfect deacon, the perfect song leader. Well, let's pick on Kevin. The perfect, there's no perfect, there's no perfect people here tonight. How many of you would agree there's no perfect people here tonight? Okay, okay, three of us. That's awesome. We're all in process. Jesus is, uh, wants to show us that if we obey him, he will take care of us. Their nets were full, divine provision for Peter to carry on. What's the lesson? What's the takeaway? It's simple. Our progress in God, write this down somewhere if it's not on the right side of the sheet. My progress in God will go no further than my obedience takes me. Does everybody get that? My progress will go no further than my what? It's not works righteousness. It's not legalism. It's simply alignment. Obedience is, obedience blesses us. Alignment. In other words, God answers more prayers out of relationship than request. And Peter needed God's grace to strengthen him inwardly. I wonder about you. I wonder about you tonight. Do you need God's grace to strengthen you inwardly? Jesus teaches Peter something, and Jesus teaches something about our mission as a local church. Here it is. The sovereignty of God doesn't put the fish in the boat. The sovereignty of God puts the fish within reach. Does everybody get that? I love it when Pastor David says, you know, we're here in Clay, and I think he uses the word, uh, I think the term 60,000 people. Uh, You know, they're majority are lost and that's why God is how many of you thank God tonight that God has included you in the mission of the local church from now on Peter you're going to do what you're not going to catch fish you're going to catch people isn't that awesome they're within reach but then he moves Peter a little further Write this down. Now, secondly, rebounding grace speaks to us personally. 
What's the message from Peter and Jesus in Luke 5 to our hearts tonight? Here it is. Peter has an unfulfilled expectation. He fishes all night with zero results. Jesus tells Peter to go back out and start all over again. And Peter has to make a decision that all of us here have to make continually. What is it? Live stuck in the past or leave the past behind? Live dwelling on his past disappointment or look ahead to what Jesus has for him? Will Rogers said, quit looking over your shoulder because that's not where you're going. So what is Jesus teaching Peter and teaching us? What is grace saying to us in this text, to you and me in Luke chapter 5? Jesus is telling us here this. Past disappointments do not determine future opportunities. Did you hear that? Past disappointments do not determine future opportunities. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said this, We were sorely mistreated in Philippi, nevertheless we came to you in Thessalonica to serve you. In other words, I'm not complaining about my past bruises in Philippi. I'm just reporting to you that you can forgive and be healed and find new meaning from your unfulfilled expectations. Everybody here tonight comes from all different backgrounds. And how many of you know tonight the heritage you've been given is not nearly as important as the one you are leaving? And if there's something inside of you that's difficult to leave behind, God has a word for you tonight. You can move forward. How many of you thank God we can all move forward? We don't blame this or that or who or what. No, we don't blame anybody. Why? Because to the degree that I blame someone else for what's inside of me, to that same degree, I cannot be changed and will not be healed. God gives everybody here grace to what? Move forward. Look at the third discovery. Rebounding grace surfaces our weaknesses. Now, this is where it will probably get real quiet. Weaknesses. Why do we like to admit our weaknesses? Hmm. The scripture says in verse 6, their nets were breaking from the large number of fish. In verse 7, I love this verse. They signaled for those in the other boat to come over and help them. Can you say this word with me? Help. How many of you ever needed help? How many of you know it's okay to ask for help? That's amazing. I, there's a lot of kind people around here. Was it, uh, was it yesterday, Unhi, or was it the day before where you slid through the intersection at Morgan and 31 into the bank? Was it yesterday? Okay, okay, two days ago. Yeah, my wife was doing a little NASCAR on 31. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just chest test, testing out the brakes and the tires on the, on the automobile. And, and so I, I just left walking at the mall and get a phone call. Hey, you're not, I need a tow truck. I, what? What do you need a tow truck? Yeah, I'm, I kind of slid through the intersection there up on the, and I, and so I, I pulled over and the car hit the bank and went up and lifted the car up. And so I got in the car. I thought this is going to be easy and but stepped on the gas and the car wouldn't move because the tires weren't on the road. We were doing a little bit of sidewalk ministry. I, was, I started digging. I didn't have a show. I just started digging. And together, we were there together, and we weren't there five minutes. I wasn't there three minutes. 
And I turn around, there's a police officer. Any help there, young man? Yeah, you got a shovel? Jump in! Oh, no, you know, I'll go get the car and call a tow truck. Awesome, nice guy. I said, put your hat on. Your ears are going to get frostbitten. It's like zero, seven degrees. He gets in the car. A truck pulls up. Another guy, like three people. I, they, they, I just, I'm, I'm digging under the engine, and three guys show up. And they said to me, would you like some help? And something inside of me, first of all, thought this. Nope, got this. Dude, he's freezing. I'm freezing. I got this. It's there. I got this. <laughs> and then this guy says to me, he walks over and he says, uh, he's got this at contraption. He goes, uh, hey, need a shovel? Uh, yeah, I guess I do need a shovel. Yeah, I guess I do. And then two guys, these two guys, these monster guys, they said, get in the car. Get out of the way. Well, just push this baby out. And I said, well, don't, don't, put your, don't push your hands through the, through the headlights because, you know, you, I don't want you to hurt yourself. And they look at me like, shut up and get in the car. I, we got, and it was amazing. I sat in the car, and uh, it's amazing what two strong big men can do. Boom. No tow truck needed. They never would have helped me if I hadn't said yes. This is an incredible text because we like to hide our weaknesses out of pride, but God wants to surface, surface them so we will ask for help. Why? So we can be changed for the better. The rebounding grace of God wants to surface what needs to change in our hearts. Uh, you know, I, after, after all the, uh, you know, great, you know, slap down, fall down, shake down services that I've seen in 40, 40 some years, I finally have come to a place. I, I don't just want to be stirred. I want God to change my heart. How about you? That's a great prayer. I don't want to be stirred. I want to be changed. I don't want to be same old, same old, same old, same old. I want to make progress. Mom, time's running out. My hair is falling out. My teeth are falling out. My stomach, never mind. You know the story. We only have a lot amount of days. And God, I don't want to waste it. How about you? None of us know. Moni and I today went to a funeral downtown in Syracuse. Pastor A.G. in town here. His grandson died three days ago. He was a beautiful little boy in a box not as big as this table. He's three months old. He was perfect. The doctor said he was perfect. And he died in his sleep. Nobody, you don't have answers for that. Why? It's a secret thing. And I got, and I got in the car after the service and I said to Uni, I said, you know, life is fragile. That's all I could think of. Life is fragile. It's okay to humble ourselves and ask for help to move forward. So how does God change us? And why is it so important? Well, before we see how God changes us, here's why it's important. First of all, only a fool knows everything. How many of you would agree you don't know everything? For him will increase and increase and increase as we embrace him. C.S. Lewis said it this way. The instrument through which you see God is your whole self. 
And if a man's self is not kept clean and bright, his glimpse of God will be blurred. Matt Papa said it this way, the essence of idolatry is that we look to the world to give us something it was never designed to give us. You know what that does? This truth cures the if-onlys. If only I had a new house, I'd be happy. If only I had my old house, I'd be happy. If I only had a new car, I'd be happy. If only I had my old car back, I'd be really happy. If only my kids live closer. If only my kids live further. I hear it all the time. If only I, I was, I mean, I'm at the guy uh, at the, uh, deer hunting and five in the morning, he's, he's buying his cigarettes and his lottery tickets. And he said, if only I could win the lottery, my life will be forever good. And I said, mm-mm, mm-mm, it will not be. If it's not good before you win, it's not going to be good after you. It's surely not going to be good after you win. If only, if only, if only, if only. Tim Keller said it this way, human beings will only be drawn out of themselves into unselfish acts of service to others when they see God as supremely beautiful and will never really serve the Lord with joy until we find him more beautiful than useful. Psalm 115, idols are things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. Those who make them become just like them, and so do all who trust trust them. In other words, we become like that which we worship. And as we worship, God changes us from glory to glory, Paul said, 2 Corinthians 3.18. From by degree, by degree, by degree. How many of you know as we behold the Lord, he changes us? That's why worship is such a wonderful part of your personal life and our corporate life as a church. In worship, in his presence, things happen. God can work and change and go deeper into our hearts. We see our weaknesses. God brings them to light. We ask God for help, and God frees us from ourselves. We are changed. And the last, my last discovery is this, if you want to write it down. Number four tonight. Rebounding grace is sufficient for moving forward. Would you say the word forward? Now, what do you mean? Well, in verse eight, here's a neat discovery. When Simon Peter saw it, he felt, you know, saw the, the miracle catch a fish. He fell down at Jesus' knees. And what did he say? He said, depart from me, for I am a what? A sinful man. He was astonished at the miracle catch. Now, what does this mean, I am a sinful man? You know what it means? I'll tell you what it means. It means now the Lord can really use him. It was painful, but it was beneficial. How many of you know that What is painful to you in your season will be medicine to someone else in their season. And Peter teaches us if God could only use perfect people, none of us would be here. And self-discovery of our weaknesses is the beginning of growth and change and a new effectiveness. And what Peter is saying is this, Lord, how can you ever trust me? Lord, let me stay at home. Let me go home. Lord, call somebody else who's more qualified. Jesus, you can do better than me. Go down the line and find someone else to take my place. And what does Jesus do with Peter's objections? 
He doesn't say, stupid Peter, I'm calling the employment agency tomorrow and find somebody else. What does Jesus do? He says, Simon, fear not. Verse 10. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And the Greek word for fear not is the Greek word mephobon, mephobon. It means to be frightened or intimidated. In other words, Peter, calm down and chill. Don't be ashamed, embarrassed. Hold on. I knew what I was getting into when I saved you, Peter. You can move forward. Quit dwelling on your insecurities. And the Lord teaches us right here. The longer we dwell on our past misfortunes, the greater is their power to harm us. He's telling Peter, and he's telling us to what? You can move forward. Say, move forward. Move forward. In fact, Peter, from now on, I'm going to use you in a brand new way to be missional. What's the mission? Catching men. The Greek word for catch, zogreo, it means to catch alive and catch for life. In other words, Peter, before you were catching fish that died, but now you're going to be catching people that will what? Live forever. In other words, Peter, I'm going to help you in a new endeavor for the sake of the gospel. In fact, Peter, remember, when you went out and fished on your own last night, you got zero. You got zero. But when you fished at my direction, the boats got full. Oh, man, what's the lesson there? It's more important for me to hear from God than it is for God to hear from me. Now, I know both are necessary in prayer. You can speak your petitions, cast your cares over to the Lord. Absolutely. But how many of you know God, when we still our busy hearts, God, will, God can give us a listening ear? A listening ear. How many of you want a listening ear? To hear the, what, the quiet whispers of the Holy Spirit. God, give us, God, give me a listening ear. You know why Jesus provided two ships full of fish and not just one? Most scholars believe to show, one, number one, if we do our part, God will do his part. But he was showing Peter the grace of God again to help Peter provide for his family and to provide everything he was, need, was needed for now a new endeavor in, fo in following Jesus. Peter repents of his small thinking. He settles it once and for all. He says to himself, I'm not going back like I did after the first and second call. I'm not going to be afraid of the unknown. I'm going to have to, you know, he's going to have to trust God on this one because when, when you know the story, at the, you know, at the end, he, he leaves all and what's he do? He follows Jesus. He's got to make a choice. He's going to worry or he's going to trust God with things and people outside of his control. C.S. Lewis said, worry is not believing that God will get it right. How many of you know you can trust him? One of our great missionaries, Mark Bliss, before he died, he, I, I asked him to pray for a special prayer request for someone in my family. And, and Mark Bliss leaned over the table out in Springfield, Missouri, and he, and he took my hand and he looked me in the eye, and this is what he said. He said, Bill, you can trust in the promises of God. You can trust him tonight. How many of you thank God you can trust him? You can trust him. From today on, Lord, count me in to be missional to reach lost people. Verse 8, get away from me, Jesus. Verse 9, Peter forsakes all and follows Jesus. What's the discovery? Here it is. 
and I'm finished. God is the God of a second chance, a third chance, and four more chances with Peter. How many of you thank God he's the God of a second chance, a third chance? Oh, excuse me, Peter needed seven. What's the discovery? Jim Simbolo was right in Binghamton when he stood in our pulpit and said, the Christian life is made up of 10,000 new beginnings. William Barclay was correct when he said about Peter's recommission, disaster in life is giving up one effort too soon. Someone said to me once, remember, Bill, remember, Bill, if you stop pedaling a bicycle, you'll fall off. You get the point. The first miracle after Peter said yes is in verse 13. Jesus heals a leper, so to, type of sin showing who's welcome in our churches. And the very next thing Jesus does after in verse 16, he goes back to prayer to be renewed in his prayer life. Isn't it amazing? After the miracle, Jesus goes to prayer. John Stott said it this way. It's by dying to our self-reliance in prayer that we discover resurrection life and the harvest of the kingdom. Leonard Ravenhill said the birth of a natural child is predated by pain and travail. So it is with the birth of a spiritual child. Charles Finney said it this way. There can be no revival of souls if wet eyes are not found in the audience. So I'm going to ask you tonight, these last 15 minutes or so, Let's gather tonight and let's pray. Well, what are we going to pray for? Let's, let's, how, about, how, how about if we, the story teaches me to pray for two things? Lord, I give you permission to change in me what needs to be changed. And then, Lord, when I leave this place, Lord, help me to be on mission to help connect people to you so that you can change them like you're changing us. How many of you want God to use you in a, in a great way in the, in the weeks and months and years ahead? I do. How about you? You want God to use you to bring, bring lost people to Jesus?